0: Chapter One of Jarwin and Cuffy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Jarwin and Cuffy by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter One. On a certain morning, not very long ago, the sun, according to his ancient and admirable custom, rose at a very early hour and casting his bright beams far and wide over the pacific lighted up the yellow sands and the verdant hills of one of the loveliest of the islands of that mighty sea it was early morning as we have said and there was plenty of life animal as well as vegetable to be seen on land and sea and in the warm hazy atmosphere but there were no indications of man's presence in that beautiful scene the air was perfectly calm yet the gentle swell of the ocean terminated in great waves which came rolling in like walls of glass and fell on the coral reef like rushing snow-wreaths with a roar as loud as thunder thousands of sea-birds screamed and circled in the sky fish leaped high out of their native element into the air as if they wished to catch the gulls while the gulls seemingly smitten with a similar desire dived into the water as if they wished to catch the fish it might have been observed however that while the fish never succeeded in catching the gulls the latter very frequently caught the fish and without taking the trouble to kill them bolted them down alive Coconut palms cast the shadows of their long stems and graceful tops upon the beach while farther inland a dense forest of tropical plants bread-fruit trees bananas etc rose up the mountain sides here and there open patches might be seen that looked like fields and lawns but there were no cottages or villas Joves of pigs rambled about the valleys and on the hillsides but they were wild pigs no man tended them the breadfruits, the cocoanuts the bananas the plantains the plums all were beautiful and fit for food but no man owned them or used them for like many other spots in that sea of coral isles and savage men the island was uninhabited. in all the wild expanse of ocean that surrounded that island there was nothing visible save one small solitary speck on the far-off horizon it might have been mistaken for a seagull but it was in reality a raft, a mass of spars and planks rudely bound together with ropes. A boat's mast rose from the center of it, on which hung a rag of sail, and a small red flag drooped motionless from its summit. There were a few casks on the highest part of the raft, but no living soul was visible. Nevertheless, it was not without tenants. In a hollow between two of the spars, under the shadow of one of the casks, lay the form of a man. The canvas trousers, cotton shirt, blue jacket, and open necktie bespoke him a sailor, "'but it seemed as though there was nothing left to save the body of the unfortunate tar. "'So pale and thin and ghastly were his features. "'A terrier dog lay beside him, so shrunken that it looked like a mere scrap of matting. "'Both man and dog were apparently dead, but they were not in reality, "'for, after lying about an hour quite motionless, the man slowly opened his eyes. "'Ah, reader, it would have touched your heart to have seen those eyes. "'They were so deep-set, as if in great caverns, and so unnaturally large.' They gazed round in a vacant way for a few moments, until they fell on the dog. Then a gleam of fire shot through them, and their owner raised his large, gaunt wasted frame on one elbow, while he gazed with a look of eagerness, which was perfectly awful, at his dumb companion. "'Not dead yet,' he said, drawing a long sigh. There was a strange, incongruous mixture of satisfaction and discontent in their mark, which was muttered in a faint whisper. Another gleam shot through the large eyes. It was not a pleasant look. Slowly, and as if with difficulty— the man drew a clasp-knife from his pocket, and opened it. As he did so, his brows lowered, and his teeth became clenched. It was quite plain what he meant to do. As he held the open knife over the dog's head, he muttered, Am I to die for the sake of a dog? Either the terrier's slumbers had come to an naturally at a fortunate moment, or the master's voice had awakened it, for it opened its eyes, raised its head, and looked up in the sailor's face. The hand with the knife drooped a little. The dog rose and licked it. Hunger had done its work on the poor creature, for it could hardly stand, yet it managed to look in its master's face with that grave, simple gaze of self-forgetting love which appears to be peculiar to the canine race. The savage glare of the seaman's eyes vanished. He dropped the knife. "'Thanks, Cuffy. Thanks for stopping me. It would have been murder.' "'No, no, my darling, You and I shall die together.' His voice sank into a murmur, partly from weakness, and partly from the idea suggested by his concluding words. "'Die together!' he repeated surely it ain't come to that yet what john jarwin are you going to give in that easily are you are you to haul down your colours on a fine day with a clear sky like this overhead come cheer up lad you're young and can hold out a good while yet hey old dog what say you the dog made a motion that would in ordinary circumstances have resulted in the wagging of its tail but the tail was powerless to respond at that moment a gull flew towards the raft jarwin watched it eagerly as it approached "'Ah!' he muttered, clasping his bony hand as tightly over his heart as his strength would allow, and addressing the goal. "'If I only had hold of you, I'd tear you from limb from limb, and drink your blood.' He watched the bird intently as it flew straight over him. Leaning back, he continued slowly to follow his flight, until his head rested on the block of wood which had served him for a pillow. The support felt agreeable. He forgot the goal, closed his eyes, and sank with a deep sigh into a slumber that strongly resembled death. Presently he awoke with a start and, once more raising himself, gazed round upon the sea. No ship was to be seen. How often he had gazed round the watery circle with the same anxious look, only to meet with disappointment. The hills of the coral island were visible like a blue cloud on the horizon, but Jarwin's eyes were too dim and worn out to observe them. "'Come,' he exclaimed, suddenly, grounding him to his feet. "'Rouse up, Cuffy. You and I ain't going to die without a good fight for life. Come along, my hearty. We'll have another glass of grog.' Adam's grog it is, but it has been good grog to you and me, doggie, and then we shall have another inspection of the locker. Mayhap there's the half of a crumb left. The comparatively cheery tone in which the sailor said this seemed to invigorate the dog, for it rose and actually succeeded in wriggling its tail, as it staggered after its master. Indubitable sign of hope and love not yet subdued. Jarwin went to a cask, which still contained a small quantity of fresh water. Three weeks before the point at which we take up his story, A storm had left him and his dog, the sole survivors, on the raft of the crew of a bark which had sprung a leak and gone to the bottom. His provision at the time was a very small quantity of biscuit and a cask of fresh water. Several days before this the last biscuit had been consumed, but the water had not yet failed. Hitherto John Jarwin had husbanded his provisions, but now, feeling desperate, he drank deeply of the few remaining drops of that liquid, which, at the time, was almost as vital to him as his life-blood. He gave a full draught also to the little dog. "'Share and share alike, doggie,' he said, patting its head, as it eagerly laughed up the water. "'But there's no wittles, Cuffy, and you don't care for Racky, or you should be heartily welcome to a quid.' "'So saying, the sailor supplied his own cheek with a small piece of his favourite weed, "'and stood up on the highest part of the raft to survey the surrounding prospect. "'He did so without much hope, for hope deferred, had at last made his heart sick. "'Suddenly his wandering gaze became fixed and intense. "'He shaded his eyes with one hand, and steadied himself against the mast with the other. "'There could be no doubt of it.' "'Land, ho!' he shouted, with a degree of strength that surprised himself, and even drew from Cuffy the ghost of a bark. On the strength of the discovery, Jarwin and his dumb friend immediately treated themselves to another glass of Adam's grog. But poor Jarwin had his patience further tried. Hours passed away, and still the island seemed as far off as ever. Night drew on, and it gradually faded from his view, but he had unquestionably seen land. So, with this to comfort him, the starving tar lay down beside his dog to spend another night as he had already spent many days and nights at Castaway on the wide ocean. Morning dawned, and the sailor rose with difficulty. He had, for a moment, forgotten the discovery of land on the previous night, but it was brought suddenly to his remembrance by the roar of breakers near at hand. Turning in the direction whence the sound came, he beheld an island quite close to him, with heavy rollers breaking furiously on the encircling ring of the coral reef. The still water between the reef and the shore, which was about a quarter of a mile wide, reflected every tree and crag of the island as if in a mirror it was a grand a glorious sight and caused Jarwin's heart to swell with emotions that he had never felt before but his attention was quickly turned to a danger which was imminent and which seemed to threaten the total destruction of his raft and the loss of his life a very slight breeze a mere zephyr which had carried him during the night toward the island was now bearing him straight though slowly down on the reef where if he had once got involved in the breakers the raft must certainly have been dashed to pieces and he knew full well that in his weak condition he was utterly incapable of contending with such a surf. Being a man of promptitude, his first act on making this discovery was to lower the sail. This was, fortunately, done in time. Had he kept it up a few minutes longer, he must inevitably have passed the only opening in the reef that existed on that side of the island. This opening was not more than fifty yards wide. To the right and left of it the breakers on the reef extended in lines of seething foam, already the raft was rolling in the commotion caused by these breakers as it drifted towards the opening jarwin was by no means devoid of courage many a time in days gone by when his good ship was tossing on the stormy sea or scouting under bare poles had he stood on the deck with unshaken confidence and a calm heart but now he was face to face with the seamen's most dreaded enemies breakers ahead nay worse breakers around him everywhere save at that one narrow passage which appeared so small and so involved in the general turmoil as to avoid scarcely an element of hope for the first time in his life jarwin's heart sank within him at least so he said in after years while talking of the event but we suspect that john was underrating himself at all events he showed no symptoms of fear as he sat there calmly awaiting his fate as the raft approached the reef each successive roller lifted it up and dropped it behind more violently until at last the top of one of the glittering green walls broke just as it passed under the end of the reef nearest the shore. Jarwin now knew that the next billow would seal his fate. There was a wide space between each of those mighty waves. He looked out to sea, and beheld the swell rising and taking form, and increasing in speed as it came on. Calmly divesting himself of his coat and boots, he sat down beside his dog and awaited the event. At that moment he observed, with intense gratitude to the Almighty, that the raft was drifting so straight towards the middle of the channel in the reef that there seemed every probability of being carried through it but the hopeless race was somewhat chilled by the feeling of weakness which pervaded his frame now cuffy said he patting the terrier gently rise up my doggie we must make a brave struggle for life it's neck or nothing this time if we touch that reef in passing cuff you and i shall be food for the sharks to-night and it's my opinion that the shark as gets us won't have much occasion to boast of his supper the sailor ceased speaking abruptly as he looked back at the approaching roller, he felt solemnized and somewhat alarmed, for it appeared so perpendicular and so high from his low position that it seemed as if it would fall on and overwhelm the raft. There was indeed some danger of this. Glancing along its length, Jarwin saw that here and there the edge was looping over, while in one place, not far off, the thunder of its fall had already begun. Another moment, and it appeared to hang over his head. The raft was violently lifted at the stern, caught up and whirled onward at railway speed, like a court in the midst of a boiling cauldron of foam the roar was deafening. The tumultuous heaving had almost overturned it several times. Jarvan held on firmly to the mast with his right arm and grasped the terrier with his left hand, for the poor creature had not strength to resist such furious motion. It all passed with bewildering speed. It seemed as if, in one instant, the raft was hurled through the narrows and launched into the calm harbour within. An eddy at the inner side of the opening swept it round and fixed the end of one of the largest spars of which it was composed on the beach. There were fifty yards or so of sandy coral reef between the beach outside that faced the sea and the beach inside which faced the land, yet how great the difference! The one beach buffeted for ever day and night by the breakers, in calm by the grand successive rollers that as it were symbolized the ocean's latent power, in storm by the mad deluge of billows which displayed that power in all its terrible grandeur the other beach a smooth sloping circlet of fair white sand laved only by the ripples of the lagoon or by its tiny wavelets when a gale chanced to sweep over it from the land darwin soon gained this latter breach with cuffy in his arms and sat down to a rest for his strength had been so much reduced that the mere excitement of passing through the reef had almost exhausted him Coffee, however seemed to derive new life from the touch of earth again for it ran about in a staggering drunken sort of way wagged its tail at the root without however being able to influence the point and made numerous futile efforts to bark in the midst of its weakly gambols the terrier chanced to discover a dead fish on the sands instantly it darted forward and began to devour it with great voracity hullo cuffy shouted jarwin who observed him ho oh, hold on you rascal share and share alike you know here fetch it here cuffy had learned the first great principle of a good and useful life whether of man and beast namely prompt obedience That meek but jovial little dog, on receiving this order, restrained its appetite, lifted the fish in its longing jaws, and, carrying it to its master, humbly laid it at his feet. He was rewarded with a hearty pat on the head, and a full half of the coveted fish, for Jarvan appeared to regard the share and share alike principle as a point of honour between them. The fish was not good, neither was it large, and of course it was raw, besides being somewhat decayed. Nevertheless, both man and dog ate it, bones and all with quiet satisfaction. "'Nay, reader, do not shudder.' If you were reduced to similar straits, it would certainly enjoy with equal gusto a similar meal, supposing that you had the good fortune to get it. Small though it was, it sufficed to appease the appetite of the two friends and to give them a feeling of strength which they had not experienced for many a day. Under the influence of this feeling, Gerald remarked to Cuffy that a man could eat almost anything when hard put to it, and that it was now high time to think about going ashore. To which Cuffy replied with a bark which one might imagine that should come from a dog in the last stage of whooping cough, and with a wag of his tail, not merely at the root thereof, but a distinct wag that extended obviously along its entire length to the extreme point. Jarwin observed this successful effort, laughed feebly, and said, Bravo, cuffy with evident delight, for it reminded him of the days when that little shred of a doormat, in the might of its figure, was wont to wag its tail so violently as to convulse its whole body, insomuch that it was difficult to decide whether the tail wagged the body or the body the tail but although jarwin made light of his sufferings his gaunt wasted form would have been a sad sight to any pitiful spectator as with weary aspect and unsteady gait he moved about on the sandy ridge in search of more food or gazed with longing eyes on the richly wooded island for it must be remembered that our castaway had not landed on the island itself but on that narrow ring of coral reef which almost encircled it and from which it was separated by the lagoon or enclosed portion of the sea which was as we have said about a quarter of a mile wide John Jarwin would have thought little of swimming over that narrow belt of smooth water in ordinary circumstances, but now he felt that his strength was not equal to such a feat. Moreover, he knew that there were sharks in these waters, so he dismissed the idea of swimming, and cast about in his mind how he should manage to get across. With Jarwin, action soon followed thought. He resolved to form a small raft out of portions of the large one. Fortunately, his clasp-knife had been attached, as seamen frequently have it, to his belt waist. When he forsook the ship, this was the only implement that he possessed but it was invaluable with it he managed to cut the thick ropes that he could not have untied and in the course of two hours for he labored with extreme difficulty a few broken planks and spars were lashed together embarking on this frail vessel with his dog he pushed off and using a piece of plank for an oar sculled himself over the lagoon it was touching even to himself to observe the slowness of his progress all the strength that remained in him was barely sufficient to move the raft but the lagoon was as still as a mill-pond looking down into its clear depths he could see the rich gardens of coral and seaweed among which fish of varied and brilliant colours sported many fathoms below the air too was perfectly calm Very slowly he left the reef astern the middle of the lagoon was gained then gradually he neared the island shore but oh it was a long weary pull although the space was so short and to add to the poor man's misery the fish which he had eaten caused him intolerable thirst but he reached the shore at last the first thing that greeted his eye as he landed was the sparkle of the clear spring at the foot of some coconut trees he staggered eagerly towards it and fell down beside a hollow in the rock like a large copper bowl which had been scooped out by it who shall presume to describe the feelings of that shipwrecked sailor as he and his dog drank from the same cup of that sparkling crystal fountain delicious odours of lime and citron-trees and well-nigh forgotten herbage filled his nostrils and the twitter of birds thrilled his ears seeming to bid him welcome to the land as he sank down on the soft grass and raised his eyes in thanksgiving to heaven an irresistible tendency to sleep then seized him if there's a heaven upon earth i'm in it now he murmured as he laid down his head and closed his eyes cuffy nestling into his breast placed his chin on his neck and heaved a deep contented sigh this was the last sound the sailor recognised Izzy sank into profound repose. End of Chapter One.